podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 9th of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access whatever it is you want to access, while also keeping your data safe. If you're an English expat, you can get BBC iPlayer, Sky Go, ITV Hub, More4, or All4. If you're an Irish export, uh, expat, you can get RT Player and Virgin Media Player. If you're a US expat, Hulu, Peacock, HBO, access to all your sport. Check out LibertyShield.com, the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with 24-hour, 365 back-end support from a UK-based centre. Use the code EPL pod, EPL POD to get 50% off at checkout. That's EPL pod on libertyshield.com. Get yourself 50% off. Immediate download to your devices. And you can use it on your phone, your fire stick, your computer, your tablet, whatever you want to use it on. Libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk for those tricky Christmas presents that you're struggling to think of. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops that you can find on Etsy. Right, folks, we start with bad news for West Ham United. Angelo Albana has suffered a cruciate ligament injury. Albana got hurt in the game against Liverpool. He got hurt twice, but the first one, he was chasing Mo Salah. Salah cut back and Ogbonna fell over. And he has damaged his anterior cruciate ligament. It is likely he will be out for the remainder of the season, which is a huge blow. He had been playing very, very well and was a foundational part of what David Moyes was putting together. That partnership of him and Zuma was working well. Now, they do have good backup options. They could bring in Issa Diop. I think that would be the the better option. Play Diop and Zuma together. They also have Craig Dawson, who came on against Liverpool and performed well. But it's a huge blow. He was the leader of that defence, the one who was talking and organising everything. It's a shame for him, but I tell you one thing. He, he blew out his knee and then came back on. He came back on. He had to go off a few minutes later, having gotten an elbow in the eye from Diogo Jota. But he was playing so well. And he just, that is one tough man. To come back on having blown out his knee. It shows courage and shows a real commitment to the cause. And, you know, I've said this before. The players have really bought into Moyes. 
they all want to play for him and it's a shame it is a shame hopefully hopefully he recovers fully but at 33 facing a long term absence that's a concern um Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is back in the news Rio Ferdinand has said it may be time for the baton to be handed over on his Vibe with Five YouTube show, Ferdinand said it might be time for Ollie to leave the Old Trafford Club, but that he would leave with his head held high. From where he came into, sorry, from where he came in to where he got us at the beginning of this season, I think it's positive, said Ferdinand. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's true. Ali took over a team that had finished second, spent four hundred million, and the best he did was finish second. Finished sixth in his first season, first part of the season. Then he finished in the top four, finished third, on the same points as the previous season. The league got worse and United kind of stagnated after spending a lot of money. Last season, again after spending a fair wallop of money. The league was dreadful. Liverpool fell off with the injuries. Chelsea fell off with Lampard. Tottenham fell apart. Arsenal were awful. Leicester collapsed at the end of the season. West Ham just didn't have enough juice to get into the top four. There wasn't really much in the way of contenders. And yet United never really put up a title challenge. They finished well off the pace. And this season, obviously, they're not very good at all. They're playing poorly. They're struggling to score goals. They're struggling to stop goals. They're sixth in the league. It really does... Look, the fact that Rio is coming out and saying this is is important because he's the first one to really speak out, the first high-profile former United player to actually say the words, it's probably time to move on. Neville and Keane and others have kind of... Keane's been more critical than Neville, but they've both just sort of batted around the issues and never really focused in on the fact that it is Oli that is the biggest issue. Now, the players do need to take a lot of blame. There's no doubt there. But, like, let's remember, when Oli took over at United, they were sixth in the league. And they're sixth in the league again. And they've spent all that money. So, in truth, he's taken them nowhere. They are where they were before he took over. They spend an awful lot of money, and they've got... Frankly, not a very good team. You've got to have major question marks over the goalkeeping situation. De Gea has performed a lot better this season than he had in previous years. But the flaws in his game, the unwillingness to leave his six-yard box, have been exposed quite a bit in recent weeks. Juan Bissak is a 50 million right-back that offers nothing going forward and is limited in his defensive work. Varane is a very good centre-back, who was a great centre-back, but injuries have slowed him. And he's now had two injuries already this season. 
Maguire is the world's most expensive centre-back. And I was saying to Guy before we went live, if you lined up every defender in the Premier League on one touchline and had them race across the pitch to the other touchline, would anybody finish behind Harry Maguire? I mean, that lack of pace is really alarming. And it's very limiting to how you can play. You cannot afford to play a high line with Harry Maguire in your team. You've got Luke Shaw left back, who had a great season last year, but with fans back in the stands, seems to have reverted back to the Luke Shaw of previous years. Error prone, not completely focused, lacking confidence. He hasn't figured out the midfield issue. The, the McFred safety blanket that he goes with doesn't really work. He hasn't used Bruno properly. Bruno has just outperformed expectations and carried the team for long spells. You would argue that Rashford and Greenwood took steps forward in the early days under Ollie, but Greenwood seems to stagnate it a little bit and there's been regression in Rashford's game. Now, that may well just be the injuries last season. So, you know, we'd avoid putting any blame there on Ollie. Uh, I just, I don't think he's used either of them properly. He got one good season out of Martial, who fell apart last season. He's heavily reliant on a 36-year-old Cristiano and a 34-year-old Edison Cavani. And Jaden Sancho has been a flop so far. And the latest drivel to come out of the Athletic is that they are toying with the idea of using Sancho as a wing-back, which is one of the more preposterous things I've ever heard. Um, They have bowed to the whatever of Paul Pogba time and again. Dropping him and discovering the team was more effective before bringing him back in playing him on the left wing because you can't trust him in a double pivot and you can't use him as a 10 because because you have Bruno. This is just a squad that was really badly put together without any planning, without any real foresight and without any real clue as to what United were doing. And I said yesterday about Dean Smith, close your eyes and, and picture other Premier League teams and the vast majority of, majority of them You can picture how they play. And that includes Crystal Palace, where Patrick Vieira is only in the job a couple of months, and they're in stage one of a big rebuild. It includes Wolves under Bruno Lage, who only took over in the summer. But there's no defined style of play for United other than parking the bus and trying to hit teams on the counter-attack. And the problem is they can't do that with Pogba and Ronaldo in the team. Because neither of them work hard enough. And Cristiano's not capable of leading a counter-attack anymore. He doesn't have the legs to do it anymore. So, I don't know what United's course of action is. The Athletic article also had the hilarious suggestion that United's formation of late, of the last two games, has been a 3-4-1-2, despite the fact that it's very, very clearly been a flat-back five, three in midfield, and one off with Ronaldo up front doing nothing, somebody behind him 
trying to fill the gap between midfield and Cristiano by doing all the donkey work, whether it's Cavani, Greenwood or Rashford. The whole thing is a mess. And I thought, I meant to mention this yesterday, I thought some of the commentary around around the midfield was a little bit unfair at the weekend because Roy Keane said that if he could grab hold of Ollie, he'd shake him and ask him, why are you playing Fred? Fred is the least of their problems in midfield. Fred isn't suited to playing in a midfield too, but on the left-hand side of a three, he's fine if you put a real defensive midfielder in that holding role. And the problem for United is they haven't once addressed that issue. It reminds me of Liverpool between when Mascherano left and when Fabinho arrived and a multitude of managers ignoring that position, trying to shoehorn Lucas Leiva into it, who wasn't good enough to play for the club, and trying to make out he was a defensive midfielder. United are doing the same thing, largely with Scott McTominay. And while criticising Fred, they avoided criticism of McTominay saying he's a young boy learning his craft. Scott McTominay will turn 25 next month. He's not a young boy at all. He should be entering his prime. He's played 145 games for United, 99 in the Premier League. That's 14 more in the Premier League than Fred, 12 more in all competitions. And you couldn't argue that he's been better than Fred. You just couldn't. It would be factually incorrect. Now, Fred's not perfect by any means. Could you upgrade on him? Absolutely you could. Without question you could. And if you're going to play a midfield two, you have to. But in a three, you can get away with him. In a three, if you put Bruno on the right, a proper high-end holding midfielder like Wilf Ndidi, a real ball winner in there, and then Fred on the left, that midfield three would function quite well. The problem with them playing a midfield three and going 4-3-3 is that Wan-Bissaka offers so little going forward. So United have major issues everywhere. The idea that Oli has improved them is untrue. And I mentioned the Pogba thing earlier. He's now been ruled out for 10 to 12 weeks, apparently. And may not be back until late January. An injury to the quadriceps of the right thigh. If United have any sense, he will never play for the club again. They'll move him on in January by hook or by crook. But we know that they won't. They'll try and re-sign him. And he's going to end up leaving on a free or getting an extended contract. Neither of which is a good result for United. If you give him an extended contract, you're going to give him more money than the 350000 a week he's been earning for the last, well, this is year six. So you're talking four hundred or 450000 which would be a complete waste of money, considering what he's put forward. It's unlikely, I would suggest, that Paul Pogba is going to improve for Manchester United, considering he will turn 29 before the end of this season. You haven't been able to get anything from Pogba between the ages of 23 and 29, do you really think you'll get something for him between the ages of 29 and 33, 34? The alternative is he leaves on a free. 
in which case the 200 plus million you've paid in fee, signing fee, agent fee, wages and bonuses, well, that's all down the toilet. Because a smart club would have sold them two years ago. Off the back of the 18-19 season, a smart club would have approached Real Madrid and say, look, you've always wanted them. What kind of deal can we do here? If we have to do some horse trading and we'll take back a player at the time, maybe they could have got Varane back then. Maybe that would have been the move. And if they got Varane back then, they could have saved themselves the 80 million they spent on, on Maguire. Not very good. Not very good at all. The idea that Ollie should leave with his head held high is just not for me. He did them a big favour taking over when he did as caretaker, and that should have been it. He should have been caretaker till the end of the season, and then that should have been it. The idea that they they kept him still blows my mind. My good friend Carl Matchett always says, what is the difference between Ollie when they appointed him and Henning Berg when they appointed him? They'd had about as much success. Would you have appointed Henning Berg as Manchester United manager? I really don't think you would. Would you have appointed Mark Hughes, who has a better managerial CV than Ollie did pre-United? Would you have appointed Steve Bruce? These are all club legends. These are now Ollie scored in Barcelona, admittedly, but Steve Bruce was the captain that lifted their first Premier League title. I know technically Brian Robson was still club captain, but Bruce was the team captain. Robson was out of the team. Mark Hughes is a legend at United. Paul Ince is a legend at United. Maybe he's tarnished that copybook by signing for Liverpool. But regardless, the point remains, there's a whole bunch of ex-United players, Roy Keane as an example, who have had managerial careers that were more impressive than Ollie's when Ollie got the job. What is it that you saw that made you think that man could manage that club? In the caretaker spell, you should never judge things on a caretaker spell. Liverpool learned that lesson. It's big that Rio has come out and said it because maybe others will follow suit, but I don't really think it's going to make much difference because him saying it on his YouTube channel is not the same as him saying it on BT Sport. Him saying it on YouTube, where he does a show with the likes of Stephen Housen and people like that, they have 798,000 viewers, uh, subscribers rather. Their videos do around 100,000 views per video. Around 100,000. A couple of million will watch him on BT Sport. If he said it on BT Sport, it would carry more weight. But look, he has said it publicly. And you do have to give him credit for that. <laughs> the only videos that have done really well are Varane and Cristiano video videos. That's in the last three months. They're the only ones that have done over 150,000. Because fans are obsessed with signings. 
But the video where he said that maybe Ollie should go has 133,000 views in 19 hours. So that one should take off a little bit and get some more run. But it won't get the millions that that it would get if he said it on BT. We'll move on. Um, Emile Smith-Rowe has been called up to the England squad. Marcus Rashford, Luke Shaw, Mason Mount and James Ward-Prowse all pulled out of the squad. Uh, Shaw is in concussion protocol. Mount is having dental surgery. Rashford still isn't fully fit after a shoulder injury and the surgery he had in the off-season. And Ward-Prowse is ill. So Smith-Rowe has been called up. I think it's fully deserved. I think he's been outstanding for Arsenal. He's such a talented player. And I really hope he impresses. I hope he gets an opportunity and impresses. Seeing him play with Phil Foden could be a whole lot of fun. Really could be a whole lot of fun. Such a talented player. Um, Right, we'll move on from there. What I wanted to do today uh, and all of the rest of this week is have a look at the state of the Premier League so far. So we are 10, we're 11 games in. So we're we're over the the quarter mark of the season. Um, But I thought it was a good time to kind of go through each team and see how they've done, where they are, who's playing well, who's not. So rather than do this by the league table, I'm going to do it alphabetically. So we'll start with Arsenal. So as everybody knows, Arsenal started the season really poorly. Lost their first three games in a row, but have bounced back. A 1-0 win over Norwich, a 1-0 win over Burnley, the 3-1 derby win over Tottenham. Draws with Brighton and Crystal Palace, a win over Villa, a win over Leicester, and a win over Watford. So eight games unbeaten in the Premier League. And I'm only going to focus on the Premier League today and for the rest of the week. I'm not going to look at Cups or European football or anything like that. Arsenal sit fifth in the league. 13 goals scored, 13 conceded. Above Manchester United. And their fans want you to know that relegation threatened Arsenal are both title contenders United. Now, let's be really clear. Nobody ever said Arsenal were relegation possibilities. Nobody. Just didn't happen. They were bottom of the league. For a brief spell. Tottenham were top of the league. At that time. That's how long ago it was. And how meaningless it was. The 8 game run is impressive. Because it is just difficult. To stay unbeaten in this league. For an extended period. However. When we look at the teams they've played. Norwich are bottom of the table. Burnley are bottom three. Tottenham currently sit ninth. They were going through a bad run when that game happened. They drew at Brighton. They drew at Crystal Palace. They probably should have lost both games. They were outplayed in both. Needed a very late goal to get the point at home to Crystal Palace. They beat Villa. They beat Leicester. They beat Watford. Watford are are a poor team, currently 17th in the league. Villa are 16. Leicester are 12. 
Villa have changed manager since that game, as have Spurs. Watford changed manager shortly before the game. They changed, obviously, in the last international break. So they haven't been playing top teams in this run. The two best teams they've played, the two most settled teams they've played, are Brighton and Crystal Palace. Now, Crystal Palace may be below Tottenham in the table, but nobody would argue that Tottenham have had a better season so far than Palace. Nobody would argue that they're playing better than Palace. There's one point between them, but Palace's goal differential is eight better than Tottenham's. They've conceded less and scored more. The issue for Palace has been they've drawn six games. And a couple of those games they should have won. They should have beaten Brighton. They should have beaten Arsenal. So the two best teams they played with, they got outplayed and were lucky to get draws. Now, that's not to take away from the fact that it is an eight-game unbeaten run. They are playing much better football. And for spells of games, they do look really good. For 40 minutes against against Spurs, they were great. For the first 40 minutes, they were great. The same thing against Leicester. Probably for the first 35 minutes, they were really, really good in that game. Showed real commitment to playing how Arteta wants them to play. He's finally settled on the 4-2-3-1. There's no more chopping and changing of shape and style and anything else. They're no longer setting out not to lose games. They are now setting out to go and win games. Now, maybe that changes when they play better teams. But, you know, Leicester are still a very good team. They're just having a bad run of form. They're getting goals from a lot of different places, even though they've only got the 13 in the Premier League thus far. They're still getting goals from a bunch of different players. Smith Rowe has four. Aubameyang has four. And the issue for them is no one else has more than one. Partey, Gabriel, Saka, Odegaard and Lacazette only have one goal each in the Premier League. So the lack of goals is a concern and will cost them against teams who are better defensively than what they've been playing. The inability to sustain the high level for 90 minutes or even 60 minutes is a concern. In every game, you're going to have a spell where you're the better team. It's very rare that you'll watch any game and both sides won't have spells where they're the better team. Now, it might be a case that some team, one team is better for 15 minutes and the other is better for 75. But in general, barring, you know, the very best versus the very, very worst, both sides will have spells in the game where they're the better team. But right now, Arsenal are, they're not even a one-half team. And that's where I have doubts over them. Like, I look at the Tottenham game and I look at the Leicester game. And there's drastic differences between the spells in the game where they play well and the, the rest of the game. Where... If not for an incredible performance by Ramsdale at Leicester, they potentially lose that game. The save for Madison's free kick, the four 1v1s. The Tottenham game, they were three up, rampant. Tottenham scored, had a clear penalty 
waved away. Ramsdale made a ridiculous save and Kane missed a sitter. If any two of those last three things happen in the correct way for Tottenham, it's a draw. And Arsenal would have just thrown away all that they built in that first 40 minutes. The summer signings thus far have gone well. Nuno Tavares has proven a very good backup for Kieran Tierney. He's impressed in all but one of his performances thus far. Lukonga is still a bit hit and miss in midfield. Still quite raw. He gives the ball away a little bit too often under pressure. Now, his passing completion numbers are quite good. But under pressure, he doesn't seem the most press-resistant player in the world. Ben White has had moments where he's looked very good, especially on the ball. Defensively, there's been some red flags. Some of the, the, some of the decision, ma- decision making is not good enough. Aerially, he's not good enough. And 1v1, he can get beaten. But they have found a way to protect him by having Gabriel next to him. And Gabriel is so important for them. He is the linchpin of that defence. Take him out and the whole thing is going to crumble. But he has been outstanding so far this season. I would say Gabriel has been their best player this season behind Smith Rowe. Tommy Asu was their best and most important signing in the summer. He has locked down that right side. He's solid on the ball. Makes good decisions. Really intelligent. Reads the game very, very well. Very strong in the tackle. Good 1v1. Good in the air. Defensively, there's no real weakness with him. He's not going to give you a whole ton going forward, but he's a a little bit better on the ball than people have made him out to be. He's a lot better on the ball, let's just say, than Aaron Wan-Bissaka, while also being a better defender. And he costs $16 which is one-third, less than one-third of what Wan-Bissaka cost United. He's the smart man's Wan-Bissaka. Ramsdale's had a really good start. There's been a couple of dodgy moments, but by and large, he's made a really good start. 1v1, he's been excellent. He's made some spectacular saves. Still some question marks over the judgment on crosses and things like that. And I still think over the course of the season, he will cost them. I still wouldn't have paid 24 million and eight games is not going to change my mind on that. Martin Odegaard's been a bit of a disappointment so far. He obviously had that match winner against Burnley. Now he's had some injuries. He's been in and out of the team. There's clearly a lot of talent there. And when it clicks for him, I think Arsenal will reap the rewards. Again, I wouldn't have bought him because I prefer Smith Rowe in the 10 than wide, but I can see the logic in it. And I think once he's up to speed, I do think Arsenal will have a good player there. So right now, all of the signings are doing anywhere from pretty well to really well. There's still question marks over the goalkeeper and Ben White. They still have a lot of work to do. But right back, left centre back and left back are 
absolutely solid. And their positions Arsenal can now hang their hat on for the foreseeable. In midfield, Thomas Partey is finally starting to show his best form on a regular basis. But the spot next to him is still a question mark. Now, we've seen that they're better without Granit Xhaka. And hopefully they're learning from this. And when Xhaka comes back, he doesn't come back into the team. They need more energy in midfield, which is why Lakonga is is doing well. It's why when Maitland-Niles came into the team at the weekend, he did well. That energetic presence is something that, that does aid them. I really like the three behind the striker. I think Saka is outstanding. I think Smith-Rowe is a, a gem. And Odegaard, when he's back, I really like. But up front, you've obviously got question marks. For Arsenal, they've only scored 13 goals in the league this season. is not acceptable. Now, some of that does come down to the fact that they're not creating as many chances as you'd like. Some of that does come down to the fact that, from a coaching perspective, maybe there's more Arteta can do with final third patterns of play and automations. But I think these things will come if they continue this momentum. Now, the question mark will be, what happens when they have a setback? They play Liverpool next. What happens if Arsenal lose that game and lose it heavily? They've also got Manchester United and West Ham coming up in the next six. Will three defeats, or could three defeats, set them back right to the beginning again? Or have they enough built up? Have they learned enough from what they're doing that even with a defeat or two, they can just continue to progress? Because we've seen a couple of false dawns under Arteta before, and then they go through a bad run, and then it's all about starting over. What will happen to the confidence of certain players if and when they make some big mistakes? Because you will get a high-profile mistake at a Ramsdale at some point. You're going to get one out of White at some point. You're going to get one out of Gabriel or Tommy Asu at some point. What happens when those mistakes take place? Does it bring them together? Does it cause them to fray? I think there's still far more questions than answers about Arsenal, which would worry me a little bit when I look at a manager who's been in his job since 2019, like late 2019. Um, 100 games now for Arteta, uh, 54 wins. So that is respectable, but obviously this does include, you know, cups and stuff like that. From a league perspective, I need to see more. I really do need to see more. But Arsenal fans should be very happy with where they sit in the table. With the fact that they have gone eight unbeaten. With the fact that they do have certain areas of the team now boxed off. I would say, looking at that Arsenal team, at least seven of those players are unquestioned long-term pieces. Thomas Partey, not so much long-term because of his age, but I think he'll still be there three, four years. But Tommy Asu, Gabriel, Tierney, Thomas, Saka, Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, I think you can, you can build something with that. If this Ramsdale is real, I'll be surprised, but if he is, that's your goalkeeping situation sorted. If Ben White can continue to improve, that completes your defence. You've still got William Saliba to come back as well off loan. 
But up front, you've got questions to answer. And in midfield, you've got questions to answer. At the back, it's about these guys proving that this isn't just a run of form, that this is actually their level. Because I think too often people get caught up in players having a good 10, 15, even 20 game spell and mistaking that for their level rather than the 50, 75, 100 games that came before that. For now, I do think Arsenal can be very content with how things are going. You definitely want to see more goals. They're not going to get a Europa League spot scoring at this current rate. But obviously it has improved over the last eight games. It's actually 13 in eight because it's scored in the first three games. But I, I do think you have to factor in those first three games and you can't just dismiss them because Chelsea and City are two of the teams they're aiming to get to. They're building to get to that level. So it tells you how far removed from that level they are. Liverpool is the next big test for them. And we'll see where they sit after that one. We'll move on. Aston Villa. Now, obviously, they've just sacked Dean Smith. That will tell you straight away the season is not going well. They lost to Watford on the opening day 3-2. They beat Newcastle 2-0. They drew 1-1 with Brentford. Lost to Chelsea 3-0. Beat Everton 3-0. Beat Manchester United 1-0. Lost to Tottenham 2-1, lost to Wolves 3-2, lost to Arsenal 3-1, lost to West Ham 4-1, and lost to Southampton 1-0. So they've two pretty good victories in there. Everton were going really well when Villa beat them. And then, regardless of the fact that United have been very poor of late, Villa went to Old Trafford when United were still playing pretty well, or, sorry, they were getting good results, and they beat them 1-0. So those are good victories. Newcastle, you should beat them at home. So fair play. The defeat to Watford is a really bad one. Newly promoted first day up. That's a really bad defeat. The defeat at home to Wolves. Wolves had started to find form. So you can kind of understand that. The defeat away to Spurs. Spurs were out of form. But at the same time, it's still an away game. Against a team that is... They're a better team than Villa. Man for man, they're just a better team than Villa. The defeat to Arsenal was really concerning because of the the manner of the defeat. And then the defeat to West Ham, I think that was... That's when it kind of moved from, you know, a DEFCON 3 to a DEFCON 2 situation. Because they were absolutely hopeless against against West Ham. Beaten in every phase of the game. Looked completely disjointed, looked lost. The defeat to Southampton's a little bit disappointing, but again, Saints are in good form. So, you know, Saints are in good form, Villa are in bad form, and Villa are the away team. It's a Friday night, it's a, it's an unusual situation. You can kind of understand that to a degree. But at the same time, five defeats in a row, seven already this season in the Premier League. That's very, very concerning for a team in their third season in the league, under the same manager. Yes, there's been some changes from a playing point of view, but 
how is it that Villa were this far into the Dean Smith era without a really defined style of play other than last season's give it to Jack and hope for the best, which, you know, funnily enough, had also been the mantra the year before. The summer signings haven't gone well thus far. They haven't settled as quickly, I think, as Villa would have hoped. Emi Buendia does not look completely right at all. Um, they haven't properly used him, or they haven't found a way to use him properly, I should say. I don't think Ashley Young's been a good signing thus far, other than the fact that he's been able to play four different positions for them. Um, so it does give them that bit of you know a utility nature. He obviously can provide some leadership, but Dean Smith seemed to fall a little bit too in love with him and was throwing him in centre midfield in positions like that that just weren't suiting him. Leon Bailey started well, looked like he might be about to adapt really quickly to the Premier League, and then got injured and just hasn't looked the same since coming back and has been really poor the last couple of games. Danny Ings also started well. Then Watkins came back into the team and everybody realised it doesn't really work. Now, I do think they can make it work, but Ings has gotten injured and they haven't had an opportunity to make that that transition. Anytime you sack a manager, it is a sign that your season's not going well. And obviously for Villa, it's not just this season. They ended last season. The second half of last season was poor. Over the last 38 league games, it's only 46 points. That's not good enough for where these Villa owners want to be. It's very hard to judge a team based on the style of play and how they're playing when they don't have a style of play. We've seen three, at least three, possibly four, I want to say four different formations from Villa this season. We've definitely seen 4-3-3. We've definitely seen that back three shenanigans. We've seen the 4-2-3-1. Did we see 4-4-2 in a game? I feel like we saw a bit of 4-4-2. But either way, no defined way of playing. A lot of good players, but issues in certain areas that can't obviously be addressed, at least until January. It's hard to predict how they will come out of the international break without knowing who the manager's going to be. Right now, Steven Gerrard's name has been thrown around and apparently they're going to approach him. But that might just be newspaper talk. Whether Gerrard's the right guy to come in and, and sort this out, I have doubts. I also have doubts that he, he'd take the job mid-season. I think if Villa approached him at the end of May... I think then he might very much consider it. But right now, I think he'd be more likely to stay with Rangers. In which case, Villa, if he is their number one target, will have to look elsewhere. So we can't really suggest that Villa you know, will or won't fix their problems, that they will or won't be good for the rest of the season without knowing who's taking over. But thus far, the season has been about as bad as it could possibly have been for them. You know, they stayed up by the skin of their teeth the first year. Last season, they did improve and they finished in mid-table, but they did have that bad second-half spell. They would have come into this season with real ambition for challenging for Europe, and it just hasn't happened for them. 
They have had some injuries. They have had some bad luck. But they have in large part been masters of their own demise. And I think a lot of the players need to do some soul some soul searching. I think their captain needs to have, take a long, hard look at himself. I do wonder if John McGinn maybe allowed some of the talk about interest from Liverpool to go to his head because he has been poor so far this season. Um, he has also lost the run of himself when it comes to his passing. John McGinn's a good, safe passer of the ball who can, from time to time, ping the spectacular long ball. This season, he's fallen in love with his own passing, and it has been, well, it's it's been outrageously bad. I heard the boys in the Villa podcast suggest that he should be fined every time he plays a pass that, you know, is, is over head height. And uh, I, I think John McGinn would currently be paying Aston Villa to play for them if that was the case. I think they've got a lot of work to do. They're 16th at the table right now. That's just not acceptable. I do think it was the right decision to move on from Dean Smith because he didn't look like he had the answers. And they've got a very, very difficult five-game run off the back of this international break that he didn't look like he was going to be able to navigate and get any sort of results out of. It's a shame because they had built great momentum from when he took over, coming up, staying up, establishing themselves in mid-table. This was the season now to kick on in the Premier League. And unfortunately for him and for them, it just it didn't go well enough. Their away record is a disgrace. Five defeats away from home out of six games, not good enough. They haven't scored enough goals. They've conceded too many. And the summer signings, whose signings were they? Because Smith didn't seem to know how to use any of them. He didn't seem to know how to make them fit with Ollie Watkins. I said in the summer, I didn't think Ings was the right one. I do think it can work. I just don't think it will work to the point you're getting the best out of both Watkins and Ings. I think maybe you get like 80% of both, which is still good, but not quite good enough. Work to do. Work to do for Villa. Um, We'll do Brentford before we take a break. Um, Season started brilliantly. They beat Arsenal on the opening day. They got a draw away to Crystal Palace, which in hindsight looks like a much better result. The draw away to Villa, in hindsight, looks like a bad result. They lost at home to Brighton in a game they deserved at least a draw from. They went to Wolves and comfortably beat them 2-0. A 3-3 draw with Liverpool that was fully deserved. They went to West Ham and beat them away. They, They lost to Chelsea. In a game they should have won. Other than Edouard Mendy and some bad finishing. They win that game. But the wheels have come off a little bit. Defeat to Leicester at home. A bad defeat away to Burnley. Not so much losing to Burnley. But the manner in which they lost. 
how easy Burnley found it. Burnley were three up after 40 minutes. And then the 2-1 defeat to Norwich at the weekend at home. Norwich 2-0 up after the half hour. Those last two are really bad results. They're the two bottom teams. Well, two of the three bottom teams in the league. Losing to Leicester. Leicester are a better team than them. Leicester just not having a great season thus far. Losing to Chelsea is fine because it's Chelsea. And Brighton are having a really good season. So you can excuse those. You just can't excuse the last two. Especially the manner of the Burnley defeat. There's no excuse at all for, for Norwich. Losing away to Burnley is not the worst thing in the world. They're a good team with a good manager. They're just, they were having it. They are having a bad season. But it was the manner of the defeat. How easy Burnley found it to play against them. When Brentford first came up, they had a very intense style of play. Playing at a great tempo. Winning the ball back, being very aggressive, moving the ball quickly through midfield. And all of that seems to have just gone away. They have had some bad luck with injuries. I think the Ayer injury has really knocked them back defensively. I think he was a massive part of why they started the season so well. They've had a lot of chopping and changing in midfield. Baptiste is injured. He also had a suspension. Yanolt had an injury. Onyek has been in and out of the team. I thought in the back half of the season, teams might figure them out. And the lack of quality in certain areas might begin to cost them. I didn't think it had happened this quickly. They do look a little bit like a one-trick pony at the moment. The players they brought in in the summer, Onyeka hasn't really established himself. A couple of good performances, a couple of really worrying performances. Ayer, I thought, was excellent until he got hurt. Uh, and Wissa, the other big summer signing, he's also had an injury. And he obviously got a, the equaliser against Liverpool and the match winner against West Ham. So he had shown real promising signs, but injuries have, have slowed him and, and kept him out of the team. I think they'll be fine. The injury to the goalkeeper is the big one. And they've got Alvaro Fernandez in on loan. He hasn't looked particularly good in his first two games, but it is just two games, and it's two games he probably didn't expect to play in this early. I'm not a huge fan of Rea, but he, he at least had some synergy with the defence. I think Thomas Frank can turn this around quite quickly. I think he's a good enough manager. They get Newcastle away next. That's going to be more difficult now because Newcastle have a have Eddie Howe in charge, you'd expect they might get that bit of a new manager bounce. Then it's Everton at home, Spurs away, Leeds away, and Watford at home. So it's a difficult enough run. Uh, now, obviously Everton are in poor form, but they may well have Calvert-Lewin back by then. If they don't, at home, you'd expect Brentford to get something there. Tottenham not having a great season, but obviously Conte in the hot seat now and, and Conte with the couple of weeks to work with these players I think we see a different Spurs come out of the international break Leeds not having a great season but they're still a difficult place to go they're still a good team and you'd hope that by the 5th of December they'll have pretty much everybody back so that becomes a very difficult game for Brentford then Watford on December 10th it's a game they should win 
So there's definitely points to pick up here. And I do think they will be okay because I think there are three teams clearly worse than them this season. One of whom is the team they play next in Newcastle. It just depends on how quickly Eddie Howe can turn things around or if he can turn things around there. Whether the rot is too deep and it's going to take going down, cleaning house and coming back up for how to be effective. I'd like to see Ivan Tony step up a bit more. I thought he started the season brilliantly and through the first seven games looked like he was really, really comfortable and at home in the Premier League. But he hasn't been effective in the last few games. He's not scoring enough. They're not scoring enough as a team. Wissa has two, Tony has two, and Bormo has two. Wissa hasn't started the game, and he's got the joint most goals for them. Um, he's got five in all competitions. He is their top scorer in all competitions. But in the league, two in four substitutions appearance, appearances. Tony is only two in 11, and Bormo's two in 10. Now, they are getting goals from other areas. Rico Henry, Ethan Pinnock, Christian Norgard, Sergio Canos, Salmon Godas, Zanka and Vitali Janot have all scored in the Premier League. So from a team perspective, there's goals from other areas, but you'd, you'd really want them scoring more than 13 goals in 11 games. Defensively, they've started to look a little bit shaky. They've looked very, very firm, very, very well organized in the early going, but they've now conceded 14 goals, five in the last two games against two teams that really have struggled for goals this season, Burnley and Norwich. Injuries are a part of that, obviously. But I still think, I said this in the summer, I think there might be a couple too many championship-caliber players in the squad, which is understandable. They're a club that have been in the championship for a long time. Most of the squad was made up of championship players. But I think they'll need to add in January. Like I say, I think they'll be fine, but I think you really do need to go and add in January, find a bit more quality. I think a right wing back has really got to be a position that you look to strengthen. Canos has done okay, but when things go against Brentford, it is often his area that gets targeted. I think he could do it one more at centre-back because you've got a starting three and then you've got Zanka. Zanka's injured, Ayer's injured, and Charlie Good is playing and he's not very good. So I think they've got to strengthen in a couple of spots in January. I think they'll stay up. I think they'll be fine. I did initially say, suggest before the season that they'd go down, but I've seen I've seen enough to, to make me think they'll stay up, and not just scrape up either. I think they'll be okay. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we've got Brighton and Burnley, and then we'll be done. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, uh, we've done Arsenal, we've done Villa, we've done, we've done Brentford. Let's look at Brighton, currently seventh in the league. Obviously, a very promising start for them. Um, they beat Burnley, they beat Watford. They did lose at home to Everton, but then they bounced back to beat Brentford and Leicester. 
So that was four wins in five games. And one of the problems they had last season was that they just couldn't turn draws into wins. And despite underlying numbers that suggested they were a top-half team, they ended up in the bottom half. They couldn't score enough goals. That was a major problem for, problem for them. Those problems seem to have returned. They are winless in their last six. Now, the plus is that five of them have been draws. Drew with Palace, Drew with Arsenal, Drew with Norwich. That's the one really disappointing one there. Drawing away to this Palace team's no... No bad result. Drawing away to Arsenal is not a bad result, though they did play really well in that game. They were really poor at Norwich. They got comfortably beaten by Man City. They showed great spirit and played really well at Anfield and came back from 2-0 down to get a draw. But again, a really, really disappointing performance and result in a 1-1 draw with Newcastle. I think they've left four points on the table there in the... Norwich and Newcastle games. You could argue they were lucky to get a point at Anfield having gone two behind, but they were the better team. And I do think they earned that point. So, first five games of the season, they score three goals, sorry, two goals three times. Since then, they've only managed it once. Failed to score in two of their last six. This is last season all over again, where they're playing very well and not able to turn that into victories. Seventh is a really promising spot for them, though. I don't think they'll finish that high, but it is a really promising start. They're getting good performances from the likes of Mark Cucurella, who arrived in the summer. I think Mwepu has looked a lot better. In recent weeks, I think Mulder's done particularly well this season. I think you would have to say that Leandro Trossard is maybe in the running for most improved player in the division this year. Uh, I think he's been really impressive. Mope is their top scorer with four. Trossard has three. McAllister has two. Mwepu has one. Duffy has won and Welbeck has won. So again, we're seeing a lack of goal scoring. We're seeing plenty of chances created. They're still getting themselves into good areas. But the final ball or that final shot is just letting them down a little bit too often. None of this is new. This is all the same issues we had with them last season. The fact that they were able to give themselves 12 points in the first five games has cushioned their tally, obviously, this season. But you would have concern with, you know, only scoring more than one once in six games. That's that's a worry, especially considering who you've played, meaning Norwich and Newcastle. Their games, Brighton, really should be winning. If they're serious about being a top-half team, You've got to be beating those teams. You've got to be beating Norwich, who are bottom of the league, and Newcastle, who are second bottom of the league. Newcastle were absolutely appalling for 60 minutes in that game through the night. Absolutely shocking. But yet, Brighton failed to capitalise. Their only goal came from a penalty. 
needed a late goal, very, very late goal against Palace. He got a really late goal and a penalty. And other than that, it's just the two goals they scored against Liverpool. One of which is an absolute worldie. They're not finishing the high-caliber chances that they create. Now, they're not creating them as frequently as they did in the first five games either, and that's a bit of a concern. But he's playing about with a new shape, more of a 4-1-4-1, and I'm not quite sure it's right for this team yet. Now, whether or not that's a way to get Lamptey in the team as a right winger rather than a right wing back, I don't know. I do think there's scope for it. I do think they have a group of players that can work in that shape. But I think he's still being a little bit loyal to certain players who more often than not are an empty shirt. Defensively, they have been good, as you always expect them to be. They limit opponents to very, very low percentage opportunities. Only Liverpool City and Everton have scored more than one goal against them. You're not going to hold Liverpool or City doing it against any team. And Everton at the time were playing really well and Calvert-Lewin was in great form, as was Damari Gray. But there are just some concerns. Now, the run coming up is is favourable enough. A bad Villa team Hereta form. A bad Leeds team at home. West Ham away will be very tough. Southampton away will be tougher now than it would have been, say, a month ago. And then Spurs. Ideally, I think they're looking to pick up, say, seven points in those five games. And if they can do that, I think they can maintain a strong position in the league. But the league, remember, is very, very tight at the moment. They have 17 points in in seventh position. Southampton have 14 in 13th spot. And the goal differential, it's only two-goal differential. Brighton's is zero, scored 12, conceded 12. Southampton's is minus two, scored 10, conceded 12. They've got to find ways to turn wins into, sorry, turn draws into wins. It's the problem for them last year. It's the problem for them again right now. Last season, they drew 14 games. Nobody in the Premier League drew more games than Brighton last season. They only won nine. Only the bottom three won less games. Now, they still finished comfortably above Fulham, who were 18th. They had 13 points more than them, but it was a 16th place finish. And it was 16th because Burnley lost their last three in a row. Otherwise, it would have been 17th, which would not have reflected in any way how they performed across season. They only conceded 46 goals last season. In the bottom half of the league, Villa conceded the same amount. Everybody else conceded considerably more. And in the top half, you had Everton, Leeds, Leicester and West Ham all conceding more. So they had a top eight defence last year. And in an attacking sense, they created more than enough chances to win a high percentage of, of that 14 game. Of those 14 games, rather. 
This season, defensively, Chelsea have been better. City have been better. Liverpool have been slightly better. And then Wolves and Southampton have the same defensive record. So you've got a top six defence. But in terms of goals scored, Wolves have won less, Tottenham have three less. Everybody else in the top half has scored more. As have Everton, Leicester, Brentford and Villa. So you've basically got a bottom eight attack in goals scored. And it's not that they're not good enough to score the goals. They just don't have that focal point. And that's costing them again this season. But I think they can be very, very happy with how the season has gone so far. Yes, they'd like a couple more wins, but they've only lost two games. One to arguably the best team in the country, the, the, the reigning champions. And the other to an inform Everton team. They're unbeaten away from home, which is very promising. I think they just need to keep doing what they've been doing and spend a lot of time working on the finishing. A lot of time to be working on finishing is what this international break needs to be. But credit to Potter. I think he's a very, very good coach who is making them a very, very good team. They're really difficult to beat. They create good chances. If they can find a way to put it in the net more often, they will be a top-half team. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, we'll move on to Burnley then, 18th in the league. Not a good start. Uh, lost to Brighton on the opening day. Lost to Liverpool. Drew, drew with Leeds and should have won that game. Uh, a late Bamford goal. You remember as well, they were one up against uh, Brighton and then fell apart in five minutes conceding two goals. They went one up against Everton and then conceded three goals in six minutes to fall apart there. Lost at home to Arsenal in the game that they probably deserved a point from. Odegaard scored a worldie. 2-2 draw with Leicester was a good result. And the fact that they fought back twice. No, sorry, I'm wrong. They gave up two leads in that game, didn't they? They were one up, went one all. They were two one up and then Vardy scored late. So, again, cost themselves points. A nil-nil draw at home at Norwich is a disappointing one. The 2-0 defeat away to City was probably their best performance of the season, weirdly enough. In large part just because they didn't get walloped 5-0. They drew 2-2 with Southampton and showed some fight in that game to come back, having been 2-1 down. Really good win over Brentford. Really, really good win. Blew them away in that first 40 minutes to go three up. And then the 1-1 draw with Chelsea was very typically Burnley. And I think, if you look at the games, look, they they shouldn't be coughing up two goals at home to Brighton, who don't score many goals. So they'll see that as at least a point dropped. Two points dropped against Leeds with the late goal. A point dropped against Everton, who, you know, having gone one up, I, I think they would have hoped to hold out for a draw. And I think they dropped two points against Leicester with the, the late concession there too. 
So those are things that are concerning. There are six points that they'll probably feel they should have. Six points that would massively alter how we view their season. Rather than being 18th on eight points, they'd be 13th or 14th on 14 points, depending on how the goal differential would work out. They'd be 13th. They'd have a better goal differential than Southampton. And I think Dyche will look at the positives of, we played well for large spells against Brighton. We just couldn't sustain it. We don't expect to get anything at Anfield. We outplayed Leeds and should have beaten them. We played well for large spells against Everton and should have gotten a draw. We matched Arsenal most of the way. We should have beaten Leicester. The Burnley one, the, the Norwich one, I think he'll be very disappointed for. That was a, that was a shocker of a game. Um, the City one, I think he'll have taken real confidence for. I think the team will as well. And I do think they've looked better since that game. I thought the game with Southampton was a really fun game. Uh, Livermento and, and Broly are both scoring for, for Saints. Two for Max Cornet, two great goals for Cornet. It was a really fun game. And I think that was spurred by how well they'd done at City. Then they go and they beat Brentford at home. And then obviously get the really good result away to to Chelsea. Having been battered for 80 minutes. To still be in it, still be resilient and then go and score your own goal. Nathan Collins has shown enough for me to suggest that he's going to be a really good long-term centre-back for them. And Max Cornette's been excellent. Now, he had the injury, he had COVID, but he has been excellent. Three goals already, and looking like a player with real purpose, giving them a new dimension up front alongside Wood, giving them that real injection of pace, an ability to run the channels and run in behind to work off flick-ons from Wood. I think the pairing looks really good. McNeil hasn't found his best form yet this season, though he's had flashes. Thought he was good against City, good against Liverpool and Spells, but consistency is still an issue there. They they do now have everybody back fit, which is key for them with a small squad. I think Burnley will be fine. I think there's three teams worse than them in the league. Probably four teams worse than them in the league. The two below them and the one directly above them, Norwich, Newcastle and Watford, I think are all worse teams than Burnley. I think Burnley have the best manager of those four. In fact, as I've said before, I think Dyche is one of the the better managers in the league. And I think he'll be able to overcome quite a bit. This squad is used to scrapping. This squad is used to being involved in the dogfights from a relegation point of view. Now, I think one thing that will be a bit worrying to Dyche will be the fact they've thrown away quite a few points this season. But in recent weeks, they have been better. Defensively, they're starting to look a bit more like themselves as well. They've been a little bit loose at the start of the season. They were a little bit easier to play through than what we'd normally expect from a Burnley team. They were allowing chances in areas they wouldn't normally allow them in. They hadn't been as resilient on set pieces. Normally very good defensively from a set piece. But that hadn't been there for them. 
But in recent weeks, they've looked better. Obviously, you'd like to see them score a few more goals. But at the same time, they've scored as many goals as Wolves, more than Tottenham, more than Southampton, the same as Leeds, and more than Norwich. So it's not like they've got the worst attack in the league or anything of that nature, but you'd still obviously like to see them score a few more goals. That's that's not just a this-season thing. That's an every-season thing with Burnley. But Cornette does look like he's going to get goals. He does look a safe bet for double figures in the league. It's three already. All of them have been really high-quality goals. You'd like to see them get more of the scrappy Burnley goals. You'd like to see them get more of the scrappy Burnley results. They got one against Chelsea. They need to continue that momentum. I think, Like I say, I think Burnley will be fine. They play Palace at home next. Palace obviously in very good form. Have had a great start to the season. We'll talk about them tomorrow. But at home, I do think that's a game that Burnley will fancy getting a good result from. I do... The one criticism I've had about them this season is they've, they've leaned into being that overly physical team a little bit too much. And that, that concerned me. Now, somehow, somehow, and I'm not sure how this is, but somehow Burnley have not had a player sent off in 104 Premier League matches. And I'm really not sure how that's happened because there's been a couple of horrendous tackles, fouls, gnarly little things that they've done this season that warranted certainly another look from the VAR. I did think there was just too many tackles, gnarly moments, just spiteful little things that they were doing in certain games. There was even a moment in the Chelsea game where I think it's Matty Loughton shoved Kai Havertz as he was running out of play and sent him flying into the, the the boards behind the goal. Little things like that. I think they get too caught up in that. They get too caught up in, in the scrap. I think it can deflect from the fact that when they want to, as they've shown in a multitude of games this season, Burnley can play good football. Go and watch that Brighton game. In the first half, they played some good football. Same against Leeds. Same against Arsenal. Played some really good stuff against Leicester. Played some good stuff against City. Had one brilliant moment with McNeil setting Cornette through. Uh, played some really good football in the first half against Brentford and against Southampton. They're capable of being a decent footballing team. They have good footballers. Good Johnson, McNeil, the two boys in midfield, plus Brownhill. Chris Wood's a better, fo- a better footballer than people give him credit for. He's outright a good player. As is Cornette. They've got the ball-playing centre-backs, both full-backs comfortable in the ball. They're capable of a, bit, of a bit more. But sometimes I think they just get lost in, in wanting to be Burnley and having to be Burnley. And I, I think they need to shake that a little bit. But like I say, I think they will be fine. A couple more goals, a bit more robust at the back, and, and Burnley will be absolutely fine. I, I don't see them as a team that will go down this year. I think Norwich and Watford, you know, we'll, we'll get to them later in the week. We can pretty much mark them, their card, I think. Um, and I, I still think Toon. 
are the third one, but we'll get to them later in the week. Uh, that is the five, then. We will wrap up with the gossip. Um, we have a few days to catch up on, so let's run through this as quickly as possible. Real Madrid are looking at signing Chelsea centre-back Antonio Rudiger on a free transfer. Real are looking at all the center, the, the free transfers. All of them. Because whatever money they have, they want to spend on Haaland and then they want to bring in the likes of Mbappe on a free. So, you know, free transfers are going to have to fill out the rest of it. Uh, Newcastle have made signing Marc-Andre Ter Stegen a transfer priority. Uh, I doubt there's any truth to that and I doubt he'd have interest, but Barca may well be willing to sell because he is, he has been poor for the last 18 months, probably. Yeah, it's a bit concerning. Officials from Arsenal and Fiorentina met in London this week to see if a deal, to discuss a deal that could see Dusan Vlahovic join the Gunners. Um, he would be perfect for them. I doubt there's any truth to it. France midfielder Paul Pogba let Manchester United know he would be open to, open to signing a new contract with the club in 2019. But the Old, Clap, Old Trafford club decided against offering him a new deal. Um, that was the, at the end of the one season he's been good for them. That was the only time he warranted a new contract. Or you could make an argument for it. Uh, but that's actually the time they should have been looking to sell him. Everton manager Rafael Benitez has warned the Toffees Warned that the Toffees may not be able to spend heavily in the January transfer window, even though we need significant reinforcements. I think we've gotten the fact that they don't have any money from them spending like two million in the summer, despite having gaping holes everywhere. New Tottenham boss Antonio Conte wants to sign Mar- Marcelo Brozovic, who's out of contract in the summer. Would make sense. He's a, a very, very good player. Um, Chelsea want to sign Fenerbahce and Hungary defender Attila Zlaya. Really? I doubt it. I, I doubt it. I think they're going to aim a bit higher. Barcelona will look, look to cut short the loan of Luke Young. No, I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised. Incoming boss Xavi wants to make Bayern Munich and France winger Kingsley Coleman his first signing. I doubt it. I can't think of many less Barca-esque players. And they already have Usman Dembele, who does largely the same thing. So unless Dembele is going, which could work for both, maybe they send Dembele to to Bayern or something, and maybe Bayern can sort him out. Um, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, who has been linked with a move to Barcelona in the past, has had any hopes of joining the club dashed with the appointment of Xavi. I don't think he was ever going there in the pa- in in the first place. Luka Jovic is pushing for a move away from Real Madrid in January. Makes sense. He needs to go somewhere and get his career back on track. Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva was linked with a move away from Manchester City in the summer, but says he's now feeling happy at the club. They would have been mental to sell him in the summer. I said that. It's been proven correct. He's been probably their best player this season. Uh, He may well have been the second best player in the league this season thus far behind Salah. Jared Bowen has been linked with a move to Liverpool in the past, and Jurgen Klopp has admitted he is an admirer. It's not really what he said. He said he's a player that he does like. Doesn't mean he wants to buy him. Um, Thomas Tuchel has admitted that Treville Chalaba's emergence could see the Blues slow down the pursuit of Jules Kunde. Okay, I mean, 
I don't know why, but fair enough. Moving on. Real Madrid will insert a 1 billion euro release clause when they renew the contract of Vinicius Jr. So this is purely a reaction to Barca putting billion euro release clauses into the contracts of Ansu Fati and Pedri. Um, Manchester United have former RB Leipzig coach Ralph Ranić on their list of candidates if they sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the German is interested in taking over. I don't think you can appoint him to be manager of that club. Sporting director? Fine. Manager? Not so much. Ralph Ranić has never managed a massive club successfully. Ralph Ranić was a very good head coach. Don't get me wrong. A very, very good head coach at second-tier teams. He was never a great manager at a big club. And when he went to Schalke, he found the pressure of it all too much. And he actually retired at that point. He came back with Hoffenheim, and Hoffenheim was a club that suited him, as Hanover had. But Stuttgart he was at, and it didn't go all that well. The second time at Schalke was a disaster. That, sorry, the second time was the time he retired. Uh, he was, he did pretty well there the first season, the first time he was there. He was there for 18 months. Um, uh, but then it went badly and he did leave mid-season. Um, he did really well at Hoffenheim. Badly at Schalke the second time around. The pressure just was too much for him. And then he managed Leipzig for a season and then came back for another season two years later. He did well at Leipzig. But his best work has always been at smaller clubs. At building something up. At United, I could see him as a director of football. If you give him carte blanche, I, I think he can do well. I don't think he's someone you appoint as manager of a top club with big pressure. Uh, Newcastle's move to appoint Eddie Howe. Oh, potentially stalled over uh, Jason Tindall. Um, I think what it was, was Jason Tindall was working for Sheffield United. I think there was some compensation to be paid. I think that's what the, the slowdown was. But obviously that's been resolved and how is now in charge. Uh, Antonio Conte has been linked with returning to Inter Milan to sign some of his players. But Simone Inzaghi has said it's too early to think about January. Frank Lampard continues to emerge as the early favourite to replace Daniel Farca. With Steven Gerrard, Roy Hodgson and Lucien Favre also among the contenders. I do wonder if Lucien Favre, Steven Gerrard and Paolo Fonseca's names, and Lampard as well, as what I should have said, are just getting thrown out there because they're the simple links to make. Whether there's actual real interest from the clubs to those managers. Same thing goes for Villa. Real Sociedad, Sociedad and Spain midfielder Mikel Moreno is an option for Liverpool. I doubt it. I doubt he's one they're looking at. He doesn't really fit how they play. He's a good player. He's not good enough to play for Liverpool. Not this Liverpool team. And he's not really dynamic enough to play in the way Jurgen Klopp sets his team up. Everton manager Rafael Benitez has played down the chance of a spending spree. Yeah, we've been over that. Uh, Andrei Shevchenko has been named as the new manager of Genoa, so best of luck to him. I hope he does really well. 
Liverpool are leading the race to sign Dundee United wonder kid Kerr Smith. The 16-year-old is also a target for Manchester United, Everton and Aston Villa. Huge, huge talent by all accounts. I haven't seen him, but everybody that's seen him play thinks this kid is going to be very, very special. Um, to be playing Scottish League at 16, I know it's only Scotland, and people say it's only Scotland, but to be playing any level of senior football at 16 is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And this is his second season in the team. Now, he turns 17 next month, which is when you might see a couple of offers fly in for him. Um, but I, I do think he's showing something by being ready to play at this age. Now, again, he's very, very young, so you you have to give him time. But you know, the kid plays centre-back. and He's playing centre-back against men. So there's something there. There's something there. Juventus could make a move for Axel Witzel in January. I don't know why they would. I really don't know why they would. Napoli president Aurelio De Laurentiis says it's up to Lorenzo Insigne if he stays at the Serie A club with his contract running out. I just can't picture a world in which he doesn't play for them. Like, I don't know who he'd go and play for. He just doesn't fit for anybody. Like, he does from a footballing point of view, but Insigne and Napoli just go together. Um, Manchester City could ask Barcelona to let them have Frankie de Jong if the club want to sign Raheem Sterling. Right. Uh, Dusan Vlahovic is likely to turn down a move to Arsenal in January because he can get better offers, I assume. Or he thinks he can anyway. Um, Frank Lampard has opened talks with Norwich. That's from Football Insiders, so pinch of salt. It's almost impossible for Zinedine Zidane to take over as manager of Manchester United. Reliable French journalists have said he has no interest in the job. So it's not almost impossible. He just doesn't want it. This one is from Caught Offside, so it's probably garbage. But they're claiming Brendan Rodgers is willing to wait, is willing to replace Solskjaer at the end of the season, but doesn't want to move mid-season. Portugal playmaker Bruno Fernandes is one of the senior Manchester United players who feel they're not getting enough direction from Solskjaer and his coaching staff, while international teammate Cristiano Ronaldo has been alarmed by the drop in standards at Old Trafford since he left in 09. Well, let me put it very clearly to you, Cristiano. The drop in standards are such that they signed you. So that will tell you everything you need to know. Because Alex Ferguson wouldn't have given you a second look if he was manager. Um, Aston Villa's list of possible replacements includes Steven Gerrard, Ralph Hasenhutl and Kasper Humland? Humland. Um, I, I think he probably ends up getting it. Roberto Martinez is also believed to be in the running. Wolves boss Bruno Lage says Adama Traore's contract situation would not pick would not stop him from picking the 25-year-old whose contract runs out in 18 months. They're going to have to sell him. They're going to have to sell him quite soon. Wolves are the club who are most interested in signing Ronaldo Sanchez and could make a move in January. Would make sense. They, they just sign all the Portuguese players. Uh, Sergio Ramos is not planning to leave Paris Saint-Germain, according to his brother. The centre-back joined in the summer, but is yet to play because of injury. Of course he's not going to leave. No one else would give him a fraction of the money he's on there. 
Inter Milan's midfielder Marcelo Brozovic's deal runs out in the summer. And speaking about contract renewals, the Serie A side's director, Beppe Morata, said players care about Inter and want to continue here. The fact that he hasn't signed his contract says quite a bit. Crystal Palace are hoping to beat Napoli to the signing of Fulham and Cameroon midfielder Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa. I think Napoli have an option to buy. I think. Barcelona will make a move for Karim Adeyemi in January. I doubt it because they have no money. Real Madrid are set to put six players up for sale. Six players. Now, this is brilliant. Gareth Bale. Nobody's going to buy him. You're going to have to pay him to go away. Eden Hazard the same. Marcelo the same. Isco the same. Now, Luka Jovic and Jesus Vallejo, you'll you'll get money for. Not huge money because you've used them so poorly and not developed them at all, but you'll get money for them. And finally then, let's run through the last one, last set. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer expects to still be in charge for United's next game. It's quite clear he's going to be. Watford and Newcastle are keen on taking Phil Jones on loan. He needs to get away, and Watford would be a good move for him. Mark Overmars has turned down a chance to join Newcastle as director of football. Ed Woodward, this is brilliant. Ed Woodward is in talks to take on a consultancy role at Manchester United when he steps down as executive vice chairman next next month. Magnificent. He's never going to leave. Ever. He's going to be making decisions for the next 10 years at United. Aston Villa have made Steven Gerrard the number one choice, yada, yada. Um, Juventus are willing to let Aaron Ramsey leave for free in January. They're willing to let him leave for free if someone takes on his entire wages, which no one's going to do because he's on 400 grand a week. Uh, and he's not very good. Tottenham will have to pay Fiorentina 60 million to beat rivals Arsenal for the signing of Dusan Vlahovic. Saul Neguez is preparing to stay at Chelsea for the full duration of a season-long loan, despite playing only two minutes in the Premier League since the deal began in August. I think he's played more than two minutes. I really do think he's played more than two minutes. Didn't he start a game? Come off at half-time? Did I imagine that? Uh, let me see. Yeah, he's played 47 minutes. So two minutes as a sub, and he started the Villa game. That is exactly correct, Guy. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles says he's now happy at the club after trying to leave the summer. I, I think Crystal Palace should go for him. If you could put Gallagher, him, and a, a holder in midfield, I think you'd have you'd really have something that you can build with there. Uh, Newcastle want to sign Thomas Strakosha in the summer. That's the Lazio goalkeeper. He's currently out of favour. I'm not sure why, because Beppe Reina is not very good, but, you know, Sarri does what Sarri does. Um, Southampton, Brighton and Brentford are all interested in Chelsea's English midfielder, Sam Elliott. Can't say I know much about Mr. Elliott, but uh, Southampton have had some good fortune of late signing from Chelsea, as have Brighton, so... You know, can see why they'd be looking at the Chelsea Academy, which is always full of of talent. Former Barcelona women's manager uh, Luis Cortez is a contender for the Manchester City women's manager's job if the club decide to replace Gareth Taylor. Former Chelsea technical director and ex-Nigeria international Michael, Michael Imanello has emerged as a leading contender to become Newcastle's next direct football. I, I think he's actually very good at his job. I think that would be a clever appointment, but they should have brought him in before they brought in the manager. 
And Craig Shakespeare could join Claudio Ranieri's coaching team at Watford following his exit. Now, again, this is from Football Insider. And what Football Insider forgets is that while Shakespeare was Ranieri's assistant at Leicester when they won the Premier League, he was also one of the guys involved in stabbing Ranieri in the back and getting him pushed out the door. And then getting himself appointed as manager. So I'm not sure there's any truth to that at all. But we're going to leave it there. We've gone quite long, uh, as we do, tend to ramble. Uh, there was a lot of gossip to catch up on, though, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and today. So there won't be that the rest of the week. But tomorrow, then, we will look at the next five teams in this season's Premier League. Um, so we've done Arsenal. We've done Aston Villa. We've done Brentford. We've done Brighton. And we have done Burnley. So tomorrow we begin with Chelsea. We've got Crystal Palace, Everton, Leeds and Leicester. Tomorrow then Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Newcastle and Norwich on Thursday. Southampton, Spurs, Watford, West Ham and Wolves on Friday. That's going to be this week. Um, I'll, I'll take questions. We'll probably do them Monday or something um, to avoid talking about international football at any point. So uh, we leave it there. For today, folks, thanks as, as always. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.